that you, you give them an abundance um, of generosity, God, so that they know, God, when they give, you will give back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you don't believe in miracles, you just saw one because I don't know how Pastor Brian got her. He married way over his head, just like I did. <laughs> and he knows that, see? Praise God. Can you give the praise team a great... Yeah. Well, you know I'm going to ask you to do it because I told you I would. Turn to the person next to you. Just smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just tell them, you are hot. You are hot. Get your Bible and turn with me to 2 Kings, the fourth chapter and the ninth verse. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. I want to show you something today that is so simple, yet it is so profound. It is an important biblical principle. There is a result that happens when you make this a practice in your life and in your walk with God. I have heard people say that the preaching of the word of God is the most important thing that happens in every service. While I understand what they are saying, I don't particularly necessarily agree with that statement. I think your response to the preaching of the word is the most important thing. Because you can hear it, you can experience it, you can even get goosebumps and chill bumps, you can get emotional. So many of us, especially Latin Puerto Ricans like me, we get emotional, but you need to realize emotions are good servants, but poor masters. Hear it again, emotions are good servants, but poor masters. And we must bring those emotions under the principles of God's word. And so while the preaching of the word is the most important thing, I also believe above that your response to the preaching of the word is the most important thing because if you don't move on it, if you are not obedient to it and then add prayer to it, you can cancel out the dynamic, explosive word of God in your life by simply not being obedient and not having a response. With that as background, look with me at 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 9. It's an amazing story, one of my favorite in all the Bible and this woman, she turns to her husband, and I would strongly suggest that you go home and read 2 Kings 4 in its entirety because it's an amazing story. And this woman, she turns to her husband and says, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. The King James says, who passes by us constantly. Now, this is in reference to Elisha the prophet and how through the power of God, he was working mighty miracles. Remember, this man was operating in a double portion anointing. The anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. The reason he's operating in a double portion is because when the prophet Elijah, the fire prophet, the one who called fire down from heaven, when he was taken up in the chariot of fire, Elisha saw him go, he picked up the mantle, and he began to walk then under a double portion. There's a whole teaching I can give you on that, but that's for another time. And he is operating in a double portion anointing. And this woman, she notices this, this vessel of God. 
is passing by their house regularly on the road in front of their house. I want you to get a mental picture that her house most likely was sitting just off a road that was traveled most of the time by merchants or uh, people going from here to there. And Elisha must have been on that road continually. And she turns to her husband and says, I have noticed the power of God is on that man. The power of God is on that vessel. And by the way, he's walking by our house continually. Well, if you read on in the story, she then says to her husband, let's add on a room to our house so the prophet just won't pass by. I want to make room for him. I want you to put a table there. I want you to put a lamp there, a, a bed that he just won't pass us by that he would come and stay. In essence, she is saying, I want to make room for a miracle in my life. I want to make room for a miracle in my family. Because notice every day on a regular basis, constantly, Elisha, who represents the power of God and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit prior to Jesus' coming and the birth of the church at Pentecost, Penta being 50, 50 days after the resurrection, the power of God was given at Pentecost. But prior to all of that, Elisha and Elijah, the two major miracle-working ministries of the Old Testament, they represent the power of God. And he's passing by their house regularly. In other words, the power of the, of the presence of God is passing them regularly. But that did not mean just because he was passing by, it benefited them. But when they made room and they put a bed and a table and a candle for the prophet, the Bible says he turned in and he stayed there and he dwelt there with them. What that's telling us is is that it's not enough just to have the Holy Spirit pass by. You have to make room for a miracle. Are you making room in expectancy for a miracle? Now, in Luke chapter 18 and verse 37, I want you to notice a biblical pattern. Those of us that, are, that love to study God's word, you know that we serve a God of patterns. And as God dealt with natural Israel, he deals with you and I who are spiritual Israel. And so when you're studying God's word, look for biblical patterns. Because as he dealt with natural Israel, he'll deal with you and I who are spiritual Israel. So let me give you a biblical pattern to illustrate the point that I am making. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 37, it said, Blind Bartimaeus was told by someone, Jesus is passing by. Jesus is passing by. Now, Luke 19 and 1, biblical patterns. Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. Mark 6 and 48 says, He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the winds and the waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to pass them by. He intended to pass them by. Now, the English Standard Version says he meant to pass them by. Biblical patterns. So when you highlight these verses, you realize one says he's passing by. One says he's passing through. The last one says he fully intended to go past them. Then you add the prophet Elisha and 2 Kings who represents the power of God. And it says he was passing through continually or daily. Biblical patterns. And what this is telling us is that it's not enough just to know the spirit of God is here. Because the spirit of God is always here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, what does it say? There I am in the midst of them. But apparently, according to these scriptures, 
It is possible for God's Spirit to pass us by and not benefit us until we make room for His presence in our life. In Genesis 12, the Bible opens by telling us something about the Holy Spirit. It says, and the Spirit of the Lord moved on the face of the earth. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. Notice, the Spirit of God is moving. Biblical patterns. John 7, 37 through 38. Jesus himself at the Feast of Tabernacles likens the Holy Spirit to a river. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is the celebration that the children of Israel would go out into the wilderness and they would celebrate what God did for Moses and 2.5 million Jews out in the desert. Roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island or the population of Rhode Island, 2.5 million people. The United States government figured out that it would take 16 tons of manna every day to keep them off of, of hunger. 11 million gallons of water. And it would take two freight trains long if it happened today at the cost of $6 million a day. And God didn't do it for one day. God did it for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. And you come in here with your thimble full of faith saying, God, can you do a miracle in my life? God, can you help get a job, or can you help me with the COVID, or can you help me with my fear, my doubt, and my worry? Well, the children of Israel are gathered out in the wilderness, and they are thanking God for what he did in the past, and standing there in their midst is the rock that the builders would soon reject. They're thanking God for the physical rock that water came out of, 11 million gallons every day. And standing in their midst is the chief cornerstone. Jesus himself. And the Bible tells us that Jesus cries out in a loud voice. In a loud voice. And he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And of course, he's making reference to what would take place 50 days after the resurrection at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit would be given to the church and the power of God would birth the church in Acts, the second chapter. Rivers of living water. And the Holy Spirit wants to move in your life like a river. He moves in your life like a river. And in that river is the promise, the provision, and the power of God. I could preach a whole series of messages on the promise, the provision, and the power of God. The promise of God, the provision of God, and the power of God in the Holy Spirit. It is passing by. And you and I are supposed to get in contact with the river. Newsflash, it's not the pastor's job to get you into the river. It's not the youth pastor's job to get your child into the river. It's not the children's pastor's job to raise your child and get them in the river. No, that is your responsibility and is mine. Our responsibility is not just to stand on the banks of the river and watch. We are to say, Lord, I want to be completely saturated in the presence of God. I want the personality of the Holy Spirit. Because when you say, let it rain, let it fall from heaven. You know, I was preaching a men's conference, about 4,000 guys, and they're singing that song. Let it rain, let it fall from heaven. We need it, we need it, we need your rain. And I sat there and I thought, I wonder how many of them know what they're asking for. There are characteristics of the Holy Spirit. 
One of them is the Bible says he manifests as rain. Well, why? Is it just, well, God is rain? No. The idea is to get wet. To allow the personality of the Holy Spirit to completely drench you and get you wet in his presence. So when you lift your hands and say, let it rain, what you're saying is, I want the personality of the Holy Spirit. The same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. I want that power to saturate me. I want that presence to fill me. If you want it, somebody clap your hands and thank you for it. It's available to you. Listen, do you know what you'll get out of these series of meetings? Do you know what you get out of Sunday morning service and worship? Exactly what your faith will reach out for. Because God's power is passing by. And it's not an issue whether the, or question whether the Holy Spirit is here, no matter who is delivering the message. The question is, will it do you any good? And friends, we have the power to stop him from passing by and have him dwell here in our midst. Listen to this biblical truth. Based on the encounters of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, listen to this biblical truth. The obvious need does not obligate God to do a miracle. Your obvious need does not obligate God to do a miracle. Because so many are saying, well, pastor, doesn't God see that, that we have the COVID? And doesn't he see that we have the, the variants? And isn't he seeing what's going on? in Afghanistan, and isn't he seeing what's happening with the opioid crisis? Isn't he seeing what, I don't understand, that isn't he seeing our needs? Yes, God sees our needs, but the obvious need does not obligate God. Just because you have a need, if you just stand by or you just sit by and just watch the river pass by, you can miss all of God's provision and all of God's power that he wants to give to your life. So the question then becomes, what makes him stand still? What makes the Holy Spirit stand still? What causes churches to explode and they see miracles and they begin to see people saved and set free? At some point in that church, they learn to harness their desperation. It's desperation. I believe there's something about a desperate heart that stops the Holy Spirit from passing by. You see, some people don't understand our passion in a church like this. They don't understand why we jump, why we shout. They don't understand why some of you come and lift your hands and, and the tears begin to flow. It is completely foreign to them. Others will say, well, why do they even have a need in the midst of a pandemic to meet together? I mean, it, it, it's not an essential thing. That tells me they don't understand the essential power of the Holy Spirit. There are many right now who are watching me live stream and, and they're afraid to come to church. They're literally allowing a spirit of fear to keep them from the house of God. I was sharing with pastor today at lunch and my kids, you know, they're, they're 30 years old and 29 years old and 25 and my daughter's 21 and we always have these theological discussions, you know. And one of them looked at me and said, well, you know what, dad? Uh, you don't have to be, go to church to be a Christian. And I said, well, that's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But let me, say, let me ask you this. How do you think my marriage would be if I never came home? And they said, what does that mean? 
I said, well, your mom and I have been married for soon to be 33 years. Don't you think my marriage to your mother would be damaged and be hurt if I never came home? I could still technically be married to her. But if I never came home, it, the marriage would be damaged, critically damaged, because my life would go one way, her life would go another way, and we would not have that romancing. Listen, you don't have to be divorced to be separate in the same house. Come on now. And as a Christian, your life would be damaged, your walk with God is damaged when you allow things to keep you away from the house of God because you'll have other forces pulling at you and calling you. And we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We're constantly swimming against a culture of no morals, ethics, or integrity, and you need to be around people that think like you do, that walk like you do, that talk like you do. Because your relationship with God would be, is damaged when you don't come home. Amen? And so he's passing by. And I just explained to you how you could be sitting in church and not feel a single thing. And a person three seats over, their tears are flowing, their hands are raised, the power of God is moving in their life. And you're sitting there saying, well, God must not love me like he loves them. No, no, no. Could it be that they came expecting? Could it be that they are hungry for God? Could it be that they're getting into the river? Could it be that they're longing for more of him and they're actually saying, Lord, I need you now more than I've never needed you before. And I know others will say, well, pastor, God is sovereign and he'll do whatever he wants to do. Yes, I believe it's true. I understand the theology and the doctrine. However, at the same time, there's a biblical truth and a reason to these scriptures that tell us Jesus is passing by, he is passing through, he is about to go past them in the storm. Now, that's about as plain as you could possibly get. Literally, he's walking on the storm. He's watching them, and he fully intends to pass them by. But they all did something. They cried out in desperation, and Jesus changed the direction he was going, and he began to come to them because someone accessed more than just letting him pass by. Someone had an expectancy. Someone said, I'm not just going to church to sit there. I'm not going to rent the chair. I want to own the chair, and I want God to do something in my life. And I'm saying to you that we can make the Holy Spirit, who's the mirror image of Jesus Christ here on earth, stop and stand still in our midst, in your home, in your marriage. How? Through your desperation, through your faith, through your honesty. It's getting real with God through more than just playing church. If I had a dollar for every time someone said to me, Pastor, do you think God allowed the COVID to get America desperate? I look right back at them and say, well, I don't know if he allowed it to get America desperate, but I sure believe he allowed it to get the church desperate. He's watching. How do you respond? It's getting real with God. And that's why we worship and sing and play the instruments. I heard someone say, wow, that music really creates energy. That's not energy. It's the very presence of the Holy Spirit. That is brought into the building because God inhabits the praises of his people. The Greek word inhabit means sits down upon. So when you create the atmosphere, when you praise him, the Holy Spirit of God sits down among you. This is worship. This is praise. 
This is why we call on the name of Jesus. Why, Pastor? Because we are desperate to stop him from just passing us by. By an upraised hand. Is there anybody who says, I don't want him just to pass by. I want him to come and stay a while. I want him to stay in my home. I want him to stay in my marriage. This is worship. Biblical patterns. There's a man in the Bible called Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus because he was desperate to see Jesus. He's unsuccessful because the crowd is so large, but he is willing to go to any length to get the master's attention. And Zacchaeus realizes, I've got a problem. And he realizes the answer is not in me. The answer is in the tree. The answer is in the tree. So he climbs up in a tree for the Savior to see. I was thinking about Zacchaeus and his desperation, and I'm reminded of the scripture because Zacchaeus was so short, he couldn't see over the people. So that's why he climbed in the tree. And I'm reminded of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short. See what I did there? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which tells me that all of us are really too short to see him. Because of our sin. So don't get pious and think, well, I'm better than that person over there because I speak in tongues. Or I have this gifting or that gifting. So what I'm saying to you is all of us are too small to see him. And I like Zacchaeus because he realizes I've got a problem. And he says, my answer is not in me. My answer is in the tree. The tree for us represents the cross at Calvary. It enlarged Zacchaeus, that tree did. The tree allowed him to see Jesus, but more importantly, the tree allowed Jesus to see Zacchaeus. And when you get into a tree called Calvary, Jesus sees you. He could have just passed by, but this man, Zacchaeus, was willing to do something out of the ordinary. Remember who Zacchaeus is. He's a tax collector which means most people hate him. But he's very, he has a prestigious position. Everybody knows who he is. And yet he's willing to lay down his own pride. He's at a point that he needs God. We don't know what he needs. We just know he's desperate to see Jesus. When you are really desperate to see Jesus, you don't care what Facebook says about you. When you're really desperate to see him, you don't care what the culture says about you. When you're really desperate to see him, you, you, you say, Lord, I'll do whatever it takes. When you really need a miracle. And so he climbs up in a tree. Understand who he is. He's putting his pride aside. There are some of you men that you've got to put your pride aside. I just need Lord. I need you, Lord. And Jesus could have passed by. He could have looked up and said, good to see you, bro. God bless you. We'll see you. But he realizes this man has gone and done something out of the ordinary. So what does he say? He looks at Zacchaeus and says, come out of that tree. I will turn into the place where you live. I will change not just your future, but the entire future of your house because I am going home with you. And when I go home with you, everything changes. Everything changes. And friends, if you can get into Calvary's tree, he will go home with you this evening. Depression won't go home with you. Defeat won't go home with you. 
If you get a hold of Calvary's tree and say, Lord, I know it's not me. I can't do anything. My answer is not in me. My answer is in the tree called Calvary. Jesus will notice you, and he'll go home with you. And the presence of Almighty God will walk in the house with you and change the atmosphere of your family. If you believe what I'm preaching, come on, somebody, clap your hands and praise it. Yeah. Biblical patterns. In Luke 18, blind Bartimaeus, the Bible says, was told Jesus is passing by. We mentioned him this morning. And he cries out with a loud voice when Jesus was passing by. The man is blind, but he can sense that something has changed. I must look awful foolish to a lot of people because I've been preaching about a man that I've never seen with my eyes. Oh, but I felt his touch. Can anybody else, has anybody else felt his touch? In Bartimaeus, I can only imagine the hair on his neck is standing up. The chill bumps are coming because Jesus is passing by. And he cries out with a loud voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now we need to stop there. You need to understand what he is really saying. The phrase, Son of David, was reserved for the soon coming Messiah. They never would use that phrase except for the fulfillment of Isaiah the prophets saying that Messiah will come. Son of David is a messianic call of God. This is the Messiah. How does he know that? He's blind. He's never seen the man. He can hear about what he's doing. I believe he's sensing every particle in his body. Every nerve ending is electric with the presence of God. The anointing of the presence of God is walking towards him. And he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the religious people, they look and they say, you know, you really need to calm down. You can't get excited like that. You, you, you can't, this is God's house. And you can't get excited. See, there's a lot of people that they come here and they see us getting excited and they say, well, you know, you, you can't, we don't like that church because they get too excited. If they knew what you were getting excited about, they'd get excited too. This man is desperate. And he's willing to do something out of the ordinary to get the master's attention. Because he realizes the obvious doesn't obligate God. And the Bible says when they tell him to calm down, Luke 18 and 39 tells us, he cried out even louder. Listen to that. He cried out even louder. In other words, he got a miracle for crying out loud. <laughs> Some of you will catch that later. In fact, just turn to your neighbor and say, you can get a miracle for crying out loud. You can get a miracle for crying out loud. Now listen, or you can miss a miracle for just sitting there. So don't minimize my praise. 
Don't sit there and act like we're emotionally shallow because sometimes we feel a hallelujah down in our soul and we've been through hell all week long and we've been fighting a culture and swimming upstream and we've been trying to pray and fast and we've been fighting a culture that has no morals, ethics, or integrity and we're fighting a generation that believes there is no more power in the Holy Spirit and we even have those people that are on Christian television telling us it's for another dispensation but this is a greater dispensation. We need him now more than we've ever needed him before so when I come into the house of the Lord and I feel a little hallelujah coming on I don't think I'm emotionally shallow I've been fighting my boss all week long I think he's Satan himself my kids are going to a school that they don't let them have any any freedoms and any liberties so when I come into the house of God and I feel a hallelujah down in my soul I've been fighting hell all week long, and I raise my hand and I shout out, friends, you might be one hallelujah away from a miracle. Come on, somebody. You might be one hallelujah away from a miracle. Oh, come on, if you believe that. Somebody clap your hands and praise him. You might be one thank you, Jesus, away. Have Jesus, I think. Oh, if you believe it, I want you to praise him. Just praise him. Because when they shouted, he got a miracle. In fact, we're going to take a little praise break right now, and I want you just to forget the person to the left and to the right, and I want you to lift your hands, and I want you to lift your voice and just begin to thank him right now. Thank him for a tree called Calvary. Thank him for mercy. Jesus heard your cry for mercy. Oh, come on, somebody, praise him right now. Do something out of the ordinary to get the attention of the master. Let him know that you love him and that you need him. Right now, that you're desperate. You're expecting a miracle. Somebody praise the Lord. No, no, not yet, guys. Not yet. Not yet. Just praise him. Just praise him. Just praise him. That's it. Don't stop. Don't stop. Bartimaeus cried out. Yes, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen. For those of you that are a little confused, you're sitting there. Let me teach you a little. Because now you're sitting there saying, you mean he's passing by, and if I cry out in faith, and I learn to worship, and I get desperate, and I get in a place of faith, I can cry out in prayer, I can make the Holy Spirit stand still? Absolutely yes. And it's not so much the volume of your cry as the heart. I don't want you to think that there's, that there's any difference between those that are boisterous and loud. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And just because you cry out, it doesn't matter how high you jump. It just matters how straight you walk when you get back down. But there has to be a contrite heart. I know some of you who are spiritually mature, you're having problems with this theology. But I don't really care what you call it. All I know is that in every one of these cases, Jesus was going somewhere else, and he stopped by someone when they cried out.
when they were willing to do something out of the ordinary, when they got out of their comfort zone. In Mark 6, biblical patterns, the disciples were out in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden, a storm came up. And I love what the Bible says. It says, and Jesus was on the shore, but he saw them in the storm. He saw them in the storm. When you can't see Jesus because of the storm, he can see you. Have you ever felt like you were on the bottom floor of a two-story outhouse? <laughs> Let that one soak in. I'll say it again so you can catch. Have you ever felt like you were on the bottom floor of a two-story outhouse? And everything's piling up around you. You say, that is really gross. But that's what 2020 was. And things were piling up. And the opioid crisis was going crazy. And the divorce rate was going nuts. And God, don't you see us? We're in the midst of the storm. Somebody here tonight or watching me by live stream needed to hear me say that he sees you in the midst of the storm. Have you ever needed him and you can't see him because the storm is so great, because things are piling up all around you? It seems like things go from bad to worse. And the moment you deal with this, here comes that. And the moment you deal with that, here comes this again. And you're saying, Lord, where are you? Listen to me. He's watching you. And he's watching how you respond in the midst of the storm. Do you know what's going to bring him to you? For the disciples, they saw him actually walking on the water. They were so concerned with the winds and the waves that they didn't notice he's actually walking on what they were worrying about. He's walking on what I'm fearing. He's walking on my doubts. America, you hear me. He's watching how we respond in the midst of the storm. He's watching how you respond politically in the midst of the storm. He's watching how you respond to each other in the midst of the storm. He's watching you. How you respond is critical. It's critical. Because the obvious doesn't obligate God. And things seemed to go topsy-turvy, and America was cruising in the first part of 2020. The economy was booming. Wall Street was exploding. And then all of a sudden, a storm came out of the Far East. And life changed as we know it. And the church ran in fear. And suddenly everything was topsy-turvy, and Jesus was watching. I'm watching. And what gets me about this story is that they're struggling and laboring, fear gripping them, and Jesus is walking on the storm, and he fully intended to pass them by. In my study, that blew my mind. I said, Lord, would you really let them drown? Because sitting in the boat is two-thirds of the New Testament. Would you really let them go to the bottom of the lake? 
I am God. I'm fully able to raise them back up again. When it comes to Bartimaeus, the Lord looks over at him and he says, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? Isn't it obvious? I'm blind. Oh, I know. But you have faith to believe. Because the obvious doesn't obligate God. Lord, don't you see we need a revival? Oh, yeah, I see that. But what do you want me to do? I want to be healed. Friends, here's the principle. Faith is what moves God. Desperation is what moves God. People crying out in faith, believing moves God. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what is it you want me to do? He says, I want the miracle that I might see. Because I know, Lord, you have the power. He's passing by. He's here right now. Back to those in the disciples in the boat, fully knowing they're going down and going under. The whole Bible plan is about to go under. And he's going to pass them by until someone cries out. And when they cried out, Jesus approached the boat and the wind ceased. I want the musicians to come quickly. There's something I want you to see. Look at scripture. It says, and when Jesus got in the boat, he told it, peace be still. And the winds and the waves ceased. That little word ceased in the Greek actually means as if it no longer existed. As if the storm never existed. The problem that existed was gone. When they made room for him in the boat and they cried out in faith. Wouldn't it be amazing tonight to leave this service and say, what happened to that disease? It's as if it never existed. What happened to my sin? What happened to my addiction? What happened to my failing marriage? You see, we need to get back to old-fashioned gospel preaching. Because I believe God still has the power to heal broken lives and broken marriages. And I'm here because I believe that we haven't seen anything yet in this church. Brother, will you just play softly for me? Let me close with this. In Mark 5, biblical patterns... When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, a pastor in the church, he came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pled earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and pour, put your hands on her so that she will be healed. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd, they heard that the Messiah, the son of David, was in the area. 
and that he had been doing many miracles. Listen to me, Church on the Rock. When word gets out that God is moving in this place and miracles are happening, they won't just come for the soccer field. They're coming for the anointing. For the anointing. And the Bible says that a woman with an issue of blood got wind that he was coming. And she had been afflicted with bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet, she never got better. She only got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up and she said, I, I'm desperate. I'm expecting a miracle. I, I know he's the miracle worker. So the Bible says she pressed through the crowd and she was willing to do something out of the ordinary. What are you willing to do to get the master's attention? For some of you, it's crying out. For others, crying out is normal. For some of you, he's going to call you to fast. For some, he's going to call you to begin to tithe. What are you willing to do to get the master's attention? Something out of the ordinary. So as the master is passing by, this woman with the issue of blood, she had a chronic bleeding or menstrual cycle. Can you imagine 12 years if it was today, we would say that she had probably lost a lot of iron. There's a malformity somewhere. She's probably anemic, toxemic. And the Bible says that as Jesus is passing by, she reaches out and she touches his talit or his prayer shawl, the hem of his garment. And he stops. And he says, someone touched me. Now remember, there's a large crowd that's gathered there. And one of the disciples said, well, of course someone touched you, Lord. There's a large crowd here. And he said, no, someone touched me and virtue has fallen from my body. Let me tell you what it actually, the actual text says. Someone put a demand on me. Tomorrow night, I'm going to teach you on how do you put a demand on the anointing? How do you put a demand on the anointing? Because each one of us are a pool or a vessel of anointing. You say, well, not me, Pastor. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Are you born again? Yes, I am. Do you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you? Yes, I do. Then you have a, you are a vessel of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It is in you. The anointing is just not for the five-fold ministry gift, but it's for every single child of God. You have an anointing that abides. You have an anointing that abides. You will reach people that I'll never reach. You will talk to people that I'll never talk to. And so that anointing dwells in you. And so Jesus stops and says, somebody put a demand on me. He could have fully just walked through if nobody reached out with all that anointing locked in him. 
But someone put a demand through desperation. You ever ask yourself, why is it in third world nations they have healings? It's because they're desperate. They're expecting. They don't have Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and Aflac. They don't have WebMD that they can go. They, they don't have a Walgreens on every corner. And so they're put a demand on the anointing. On the anointing. And the disciples said, well, Lord, of course somebody touched you. There's a large crowd. Now, we don't know by the text which disciples said it, but the word disciple simply means follower of. If you look at the chronology of the text, precept upon precept, you realize it was Jairus, the follower of the disciple that's at his elbow, pulling him to go, his little girl Tabitha is dying. He's desperate. And he says, yeah, Lord, yeah, yeah, uh, everybody touched you, but I was here first. I'm so glad that I'm not God, and I'm so glad you're not God, because if I was God and you were God, only your folks would go to heaven. And only my folks will go to heaven because all we care about is our own desperate needs. But Jesus said, no, no, son. Somebody put a demand on me and virtue or healing. They put a demand on the anointing. The woman was healed. He goes on with Jairus. And as they're nearing the house, you read it tonight. A messenger came and says to him, your little girl has died. Why do you trouble the master anymore? Are those words ringing in your ears? The situation has died. You'll never get your healing. It's over. That rebellious child is gone. They'll, they'll never. Your marriage will never be healed. Jesus, looking at Jairus, ignores the messenger, and he says to Jairus, all things are possible. Only believe. There's a difference between believers and those who believe. He gets to the house of Jairus, and people are mourning, and they're weeping, and they're wailing, and they're saying, at least he showed up for the funeral. They're mocking and laughing. The King James says they laughed to derision. Oh, look, he now shows up. Do you realize that America is laughing at the church? <laughs> look at those crazy people at church on the rock. They're still meeting together. Don't they know there's a pandemic? Don't they realize? Yeah. But the obvious doesn't obligate God. Faith does. Desperation does. Hunger. And when you read the whole narrative, Jesus dismisses all the naysayers. And he takes Peter, James, and John, his three closest associates in the discipleship, and he says, come on, come in here with me. And, I, and he brings Jairus and his wife, and they all go into the house. I can imagine them going up the front steps just like this, and they're walking into the bedroom where Tabitha is laying, and they close the door. When God brings a revival, where will you be? On the outside with the naysayers? 
or on the inside with the faithful? Will you be there to see the miracle? They are there to hear Jesus say in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which translated, little girl, arise. The Bible says they're completely shocked when Tabitha sits up. I guess so. She gets up and she stretches. He just raised the dead. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is he says, give the baby a happy meal. She's hungry. And if you're not careful, you miss the most prophetic word because he's not just God over the supernatural. He's just not concerned with your eternal soul. That one little phrase, give her something to eat, tells us he's also concerned with your daily existence. With what you eat and you got to take care of the daily things. Do you see the balance? Give her something to eat. And then he says something even more powerful. He turns to Peter, James, and John, and he says, don't tell anybody what you have seen. Why? Why? Oh, don't miss this. Pastor, you hear this in leadership. Because he's testing them because he knows he's going to leave soon, and who is he going to leave the church to? Who is his successor? Jesus is choosing his successor. And he's saying, can I trust you with the intricate details of ministry when I tell you don't share this or are you now going to run out there and tell everyone the intricate details? Because in leadership, there are times you've got to learn to keep your mouth shut. Can I trust you? Because I'm looking for leaders. And the Holy Spirit is walking up and down the halls of this church, and he's looking, can I trust you in this transition? To not look at the manifestation, but to watch me. Do you want to be on the inside? Are you desperate for a move of the Holy Spirit? If you are, then right now, I want you to close your eyes and lift your hands and say, Lord, while others now are calling, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Anointing. Fall on me. Anointing. Fall on me. Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me. Anointing fall on me. I need the anointing to fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Let the power of the Holy Ghost Fall on me, 
anointing fall on me. While they play that softly, I want you to lift your voice and make room for a miracle right now. I want someone to lift your voice because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever your healing is, whatever your need is, whatever your miracle is, say, Lord, you could trust me. I'm longing for more of you. I want you to lift your voice right now just like you did just a couple minutes ago and say, Lord, I want to be on the inside with you. I want to be on the inside with you, Holy Spirit. The obvious doesn't obligate God, but my desperation does. Someone needs to lift up their voice and say, Lord, don't pass Church of the Rock by. Don't pass us by while others now are calling. Don't pass us by. And every fiber of my being is saying that I've got to call you to the altars of grace. I want you to stand right now. And with your hands lifted, somebody prepare yourself for the altars of God and say, Lord, just like Bartimaeus, don't pass me by. Call your children by name. Call your grandchildren by name. Lord, don't pass my home by. Lord, I'll do whatever it has to do. I'll get desperate for you, Lord. I'm expecting a miracle. I want to be like like Bartimaeus and cry out, Lord, or it's like Zacchaeus getting in a tree or, or the woman with an issue of blood doing something to press through the crowd. Lord, I'm just desperate for more of you. I'm desperate for more of you. In the name of Jesus, at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to do something out of the ordinary and step out into the aisle and find a place to kneel and cry out to God. Don't you dare get quiet on me now. Your obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit right now, God is watching how you respond. He's watching, sir, how you treat your wife. He's watching, ladies, how you treat your husband in the storm. And if you're hungry for more of him, they're coming already. At the count of three, I want you to come. And I want you to kneel all over this altar. And we're going to go into what they used to call an old-fashioned Holy Spirit-tarian meeting. You can come, yes. We're waiting on God. I'm going to count to three, and you come. You say, Lord, I'm desperate for you. One, don't miss him. Two, three, come right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. I need that anointing, Lord. I need it, Father. I need you, Lord. I want you to pray that the pulpit committee have a direction, that they be led by the Holy Spirit, for God has the 